Well, those hymns were just beautifully fitting for this First Thessalonians, really the series, and then this sermon in particular. So I am so thankful for those truths and the privilege, the ability to sing, the ability to think and appreciate those things, and by the Holy Spirit's power, understand those things. So I trust that God will be working in your heart this morning through what you have already heard and sung, and will continue to work through the preaching of the Word. So would you take your Bible and turn to the book of First Thessalonians, and you will benefit greatly by actually having a Bible and being ready to move around in it. Now, gratefully, the book of First Thessalonians is short, and you may very well only have to flip one page. Maybe yours will show up on the two pages right in front of you. So that will help you. But there are a couple other books of the Bible we're going to turn to. If you don't have a, a physical copy of the scriptures, a, a, you know, the app on your phone, hopefully you have one. If not, you can just listen along. Um, as I said before, I wasn't going to do a PowerPoint with a bunch of pictures this time, and nor do I have the Bible on slides. So everything you're going to see is going to be in your own Bible in front of you. So I trust that'll be a help. And uh, we'll hear the word of the Lord together. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your presence with us. And we ask that in a special way with the gathering of these people and dwelt by your Holy Spirit, these people who are genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who carry with them the promise that you would never leave us or forsake us, And so in a special way, we gather together and join our lives and we meet with you and you meet with us. And so may we enjoy the the privilege of your presence and the power of your word. And for any who are here who are not part of your family and for whom these things are strange, would you bring life into their souls today and bring them into a right relationship with you so they can join in this gathering of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought it was interesting that the ESV translation um, has a helpful introduction to 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, Paul wrote this letter to encourage new believers in their faith, to exhort them to godly living, to give them assurance about the eternal state of believers who had died, and to defend the integrity of his ministry as an apostle. Paul visited Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, but he was forced to flee because of the Jewish opposition. He sent Timothy to work with a larger Gentile church there, or a largely Gentile church, and then Timothy brought to Paul good news of their faith. This is one of Paul's first letters, probably written about A.D. 50 to 51. So let's read some of the book together so you'll begin to hear it for yourself. And I want to start with the very beginning, verse 1. Paul Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now skip ahead to chapter 2 verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. In chapter 3, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has now come to pass, and, and as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and afflictions, we have been comforted through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you And may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Isn't that just beautiful? And that's only a little part of it. One commentary says that Timothy's report had come when Paul himself was feeling oppressed by his own difficult circumstances and the pressures that were upon him. And the missionary whose work or task it was to encourage others was himself encouraged by receiving news from the church. And I've said this before, but the Bible word encourage means to instill someone with courage or cheer. It's to comfort or cheer up. It assumes that there are many times that you will not feel cheerful, comforted, or courageous. So it's a blessing to have a book of the Bible that gives us truth from God that helps us be encouraged. So let me show you that. Uh, We just read in chapter 2, verse 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. In chapter 4, verse 18, 
Paul says to encourage one another with these words, the words of assurance that all believers will always be with the Lord in heaven. And then chapter 5, verse 11, it says to encourage one another. And then verse 14 says to encourage the faint-hearted. So why do we need to be encouraged? For Christians, the Bible describes and we experience many pressures in this idolatrous world. 1 Thessalonians calls it afflictions and suffering. Look at um, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, you received the word in much affliction. Chapter 2, verse 2. We had already suffered and been shamefully treated. Verse 14, you suffered the same things. Chapter 3, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. And chapter 3, verse 4, telling you that we were to suffer affliction. And verse 7, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted, which is a similar word, about you through your faith. So there is temporal suffering and affliction for true believers. But that isn't the whole story. There are also eternal blessings and salvation in the gospel of God. And that is encouraging. Verse, or chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. So believing the gospel changed the lives of the Thessalonians and continuing in their faith and love brought great encouragement to Paul. The gospel that brought affliction from the world also was God's means of encouraging them. And God gave us a book to encourage us along with them. So I'm going to preach to you on gospel encouragement. Gospel encouragement for believers feeling pressures or the pressures of living a changed life in a hostile culture. And I've listed three main reasons that are from the book. Be encouraged because, number one, God has chosen to change you. Number two, God has given you instructive examples. And number three, God has destined you for eternal salvation. So these are big, basic gospel truths, but they're vital for our encouragement. So number one, God has chosen to change you. Think of the last two Sundays. This God is the awesome creator of the universe. And if you're a Christian, he has chosen you to be his child and to change your life. Chapter 1, verse 4, we know that he has chosen you. Chapter 2, verse 12, God calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The word chosen and called, a very similar meaning. Chapter 4, verse 7, He has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. In chapter 5, verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He surely will do it. God has chosen to change you. And how has he done it? By giving you, first of all, faith. And we're being a look at, I mean, it may just get too much to try to find these, but I'm going to be just going through other verses. And so you can follow along and find it, or you can just listen. But chapter 1, verse 3, remember before our God and Father your work of faith. Verse 8, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Chapter 3, verse 2, establish and exhort you in your faith. Chapter 3, verse 5, we sent Timothy to learn about your faith. 
For we fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us, he brought the good news of your faith. And then verse 7, we've been comforted about you through your faith. And so God is giving you faith. Chapter 3, verse 10, we pray earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. The content of their faith needs growth. And chapter 5, verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us put on the breastplate of faith. And so it is deeply encouraging to have faith from God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Courage and comfort starts with faith. Faith by God's choice and God's gift. If you believe, be encouraged. If you don't believe, cry out to God to give you faith and choose to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior on the basis of what he's done on the cross. So first, God has chosen to change you by giving you faith. And then second, God has chosen to change you. And this is, you, know, you may get lost a little bit. You don't have a handout, but you've got your, our first main point that God has chosen to change you. Now we have these subpoints. Number one, he's given you faith. Number two, he's chosen to change you by empowering your love. And you probably have seen some of this as we read, but in chapter one, verse three, he talks about your labor of love. In chapter uh, 1, verse 4, brothers loved by God. Chapter 3, verse 6, the good news of your love. And verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Chapter 4, verse 9 says concerning brotherly love and that you're taught by God to love one another. Chapter 5, verse 8, put on the breastplate of love. And chapter 5, verse 13, esteem them very highly in love. And so Jesus said that the world would know that we are his followers by the love that we have for one another. And 1 Corinthians 13 gives us God's definition of love, and it's clearly countercultural because he says that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy or boast, love is not proud or rude, it's not self seeking, it's not easily angered, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love doesn't think evil, and love never fails. You don't fall into love and out of love. So God has empowered love for true believers, and that's encouraging. So be encouraged because God has chosen to change you by giving you faith and then empowering your love. And next, God has chosen to change you by fortifying your hope. Chapter 1, verse 3, your steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 19, what is our hope before the Lord Jesus at his coming? And then chapter 4, verse 13, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. In chapter 5, verse 8, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Faith, hope, love. But Bible hope is a confident expectation of God fulfilling his promises. And we should be encouraged because God is building in us a steadfast hope, a confident expectation grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ that's unmoved by the affliction and suffering in this present world. The hope is encouraged by other believers, those whom we disciple who continue in the faith. The hope protects us from wrong thinking and discouraged feelings. So 
Be encouraged because God is fortifying your hope. And then there's a fourth thing that God has chosen to change you by. And that is instructing your holiness. Chapter 2, verse 10. How holy and righteous and blameless. And chapter 3, verse 13. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, his holy ones. Chapter 4, verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. Verse 4, control his own body in holiness. This is about believers. Verse 7, God has not called you for impurity, but he's called you in holiness. And then chapter 5, verse 23, sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. When I was a, a younger and older, I should say, teenager in my later teenage years, I memorized 1 Thessalonians 4 as a way of learning and obeying God's will about moral purity. So I want you to listen to it, or you can look there, and let's read some of chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warns you. For God has not called us for impurity, but he's called us in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this holy calling disregards not man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. So you notice that holiness is a heart issue. You must desire to please God more than yourself. Not following your passions, but learning God's pleasure and then doing that instead. Overcoming evil with the good of God's will and doing that. And it's also a scary issue, this holiness. It's a serious thing to ignore God's plan for your purity. This present evil age is in serious trouble with God. As a Christian, you will be encouraged if you learn to live for the pleasure of God. God will give you courage to live a holy life that overcomes your illegitimate sexual passions. God plans a happy marriage to fulfill your sexual passions. And for those that are not married, he gives strength and satisfaction to stay pure. And for those who doubt, a happy marriage and a satisfied singleness is totally possible. Not in a shallow, simple way, but in a genuine way when you follow Jesus and do what God commands. And the world afflicts us. It bombards us. It persecutes us with their immoral music, movies, TV shows, advertisements, social media, pornography, clothing, and redefining what is good and pure and right. 
But by the Holy Spirit's power, we can, we must embrace God's choice to change us by instructing our holiness. God's holiness is the only path of safety, and it's the only path of true joy. Don't buy the lies of our culture. Live to please God, and you will never regret it. Just a side note, if you would like to pray together and talk more about 1 Thessalonians 4 during our Discipleship Connect, I'll just be up here in the corner, and please feel free to join me. Now, okay, the first gospel encouragement is that God has chosen to change you. God brought the gospel to the Thessalonians and to us, It came with word and power and conviction, changing us into a person who believes God's good news, who puts God's love into action, and who hopes in God's promises, and then who lives a life that is ever more set apart, holiness, to be like Jesus. Now, when you stop to consider these things, you will be encouraged if you really think about it. And we aren't talking about shallow cheerfulness because the sun will come up tomorrow. But it is a deep and settled conviction that God is real and he's working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and very soon we will be with him. It really doesn't matter how young and healthy you are, you will very soon meet God. Life and health go really fast. The Bible calls it like steam up in the air. So consider your life, and as a true believer in Jesus, rejoice in what he's done for you and be encouraged. So reason number one to be encouraged is that God has chosen to change you. And now number two, be encouraged because God has given you instructive examples. Number one, we have the example of the Thessalonians and other churches. So chapter one, verse seven You became an example to all the believers. Verse 8, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. They've seen it. They've heard about it. Verse 9, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you. And then chapter 2, verse 14, you became imitators of other churches, the churches of God in Judea. So we can learn from the Thessalonians. But if you think about how the Thessalonians heard these words from Paul, they're It was their example that he was pointing out. So that reminds us that we can be our examples to others. God has changed us and and transformation is an example. What he's doing in our lives is an example that encourages others. Even though we haven't arrived, we have evidence of God's work in us. And others see that and it encourages them to trust and obey God as well. And we're encouraged Because they're encouraged by us. So it's also good for us to look around at other Christians in our church and in other churches who have been transformed, who are being transformed by the gospel. Be encouraged by learning from the example of others. Okay, but the most important example in 1 Thessalonians that's talked about a lot is the instructive example of Paul's missionary team. Look again at chapter 1 verse 5. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And and we've already read a lot of chapter 2, but but look at the beginning of chapter 2. 
For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our heart. This is an exemplary ministry that he had. And so he continues as we read about their example in chapter 4. As we read before, you received from us how you ought to walk and please God. Chapter 4, verse 2, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And verse 8, as we instructed you. And then the last one, chapter five twenty-seven. I put you under oath before God to have this letter written to all the brothers. We want you to hear the instruction that we have. And so we have this dual idea of instructive example. When you think about children, they learn by watching the example of their parents. They look at their siblings and others. There's a lot of instruction, though, that we add to that example. But you know the saying, actions speak louder than words. And yet words really do matter. There's verbal instruction. And so what we say and do is vital for growth in every aspect of life. It can be students, uh, employees, employers, um, in ministry, and business, in all areas of life, people depend on instructive examples. When you're having a hard time learning or doing something, it's very encouraging to have a good teacher show you and tell you what to do and how to do it. I mean, after however many years now, I finally learned to go ahead and watch a YouTube video about someone who's already done it and done it well to minimize the chance I'm going to get it wrong or take triple the time trying to figure it out on my own. That has been a long process for me to be willing to do that. These are positive examples, though, that Paul's talking about. We learn a lot from negative examples, too. In fact, the Bible really is full of negative examples. And life is full of negative examples and bad instruction of what not to think and what not to do. Thankfully, Paul points us to good examples in himself and his team. The Thessalonian believers and other New Testament churches are largely positive examples of faith. Positive examples of faith, love, hope, holiness are, most, are the most encouraging ones for us to look at and to imitate. The key, or, or anyway, that's a key reason for you to even choose a church. And I hope that that's a key reason for you to choose our church where you have pastors and many of the people who are genuine examples of Christ-like maturity or maturing, where there is a serious commitment and an evidence growth in Christ. It's not a show. It's real as a sinner being saved by the grace of God to grow more into the image of Christ. And so that example is instructive and critical. So we've considered the gospel of a gospel encouragement of, number one, God's choice to change you, and then number two, God's instructive examples. And then there's a third one. Be encouraged because God has destined you for eternal salvation. Salvation from what? First Thessalonians says it. Salvation from his wrath. Chapter 1, verse 10. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, verse 16. Wrath has at last come upon the Jews who rejected Jesus. 
Chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord is an avenger of all these things. In chapter 5, verse 9, God has not destined us to wrath. So what is this wrath Paul talks about? I think there's several possible references, and I'm sure we're going to study more about that in the sermon as it continues this series, but I wanted to emphasize the ultimate wrath that God is talking about, that he saves us from. So would you turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 14? God describes his wrath through the Apostle John. Revelation 14. Verse 10. Worshippers of the beast, or unbelievers, also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. And our response as believers to such a horrible end for unbelievers, an eternal punishment that we are saved from, is described in the same passage, verse 12. And here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. And so I urge you to endure in your faith, love, hope, and holiness in Jesus. Thank God that he has saved you. Look forward to the eternal blessings of rest and reward. And even though the thought of wrath causes a lot of pain because of the fate for those that we know and love apart from Christ, it's almost too much for us to even comprehend. So much so that without the power of the Spirit, the thought of God's wrath will turn you away from him. God intends, though, that we find encouragement in knowing that we are not destined for his wrath. We are safe. We are saved from the wrath to come. Praise the Lord and be encouraged by that. Be encouraged that God has destined us to eternal salvation, which starts by saving us from his wrath. But there's more. There's a lot more. So we have salvation to live with him forever. So go back to 1 Thessalonians, if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Chapter 4, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him... Those who have fallen asleep. And then verse 17. And we'll always be with the Lord. And then chapter 5 verse 10. God has not destined us for wrath. But to live with him. So let's let's look at chapter 4 again. Verse 16. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming back to take us to live with God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to live with Him forever. Now, would you turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John, and look at chapter 14. Jesus teaches more about living with God, and it's in the same context of needing encouragement. John chapter 14 Verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And then to just give us a taste of how good heaven will be, given the contrast with the wrath of God, would you please turn back to the book of Revelation? This is also the same author, the Apostle John. This time, look at Revelation chapter 7. It's your last time to turn except to get back to Thessalonians. Revelation 7. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. You compare that to the horrific state of those under his wrath. And what a blessing. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them into springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The contrast is almost unimaginable. Like the disciples who were with Jesus all the time on the earth and they couldn't imagine him leaving and going back to heaven and they were discouraged and he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going, but I'm going so that I can then bring you to be with me. We will be with him in heaven, which is just far better. And I know heaven can feel kind of strange and distant for many, but it really isn't. It will be the very best place, the very best experience that you can ever imagine. It will have the highest joys with no sorrows. Every aspect of the good things that God has given to us to enjoy on this earth, whether it's the beauty of creation, the amazing experiences, the awesome accomplishments, they're going to be perfected and extended for eternity. It will be better than anything you've experienced here. But in, in many ways, it's going to take the best and make it perfect forever. And we could talk all day about places and things and activities, but, but I want you to think about the relationship aspect of heaven. All the longings of the human heart for belonging, for love, for loyalty, 
for inclusion, for admiration, respect, safety, commitment. All of those will be perfected forever because we will be with God in perfect relationship. We will be his. He will be ours forever. Eden, restored, eternally protected from falling again. We we just can't even comprehend it. But we can grow in our understanding, grow in our appreciation, our excitement about forever being with the Lord. So God saved us from wrath and promised that we will be with him in paradise forever. And so how does that happen again? Don't forget that we have salvation. This is that third aspect of this third, this third point. We have salvation through Jesus, in Jesus, with Jesus. Salvation is not because of what you do or what you have done. You can be encouraged because your salvation is in, through, with, by Jesus. So would you go back to 1 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians 1. We've gone over this multiple times from different angles because the same words and ideas keep showing up in these verses. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. This faith, hope you have, faith, love, and hope that you have, it's in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You don't deliver yourself from the wrath to come. Jesus does it. Chapter 4, verse 14, it's through Jesus that God will bring with him. And then chapter 5, verse 9, to obtain salvation, how are you going to get it? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are going to be with God, and how are you going to get there? In Christ. Not by yourself. It's with him, like literally not, you're you're in him, you're with him. You show up in the presence of God, hidden in Christ. It is with Jesus that we are safe and sure to be accepted by God into heaven. We have hope in Christ. We have hope through Christ. We have hope because we're with Christ. Okay, so we've seen in 1 Thessalonians that The exhortation to be encouraged by the gospel truths that, number one, God has chosen to change you, that that he's given you instructive examples and that that he's given you eternal salvation from the coming wrath. And maybe you're saying, it all sounds fine. It sounds very churchy. Um, But when you lose your job and have no money in the bank, or you bomb a test that you really studied hard for and needed to do well on, Or when you can't find the answers to some sickness, or when your emotions just won't listen to reason, and they pile up more and more discouragement, these gospel truths can just seem so distant. I mean, I'm glad I I know that I'm safe with God and I have the hope of heaven, but that doesn't change my job status or my empty bank account, or or it doesn't change my grade, and, and it doesn't immediately change my feelings of sadness and fear. Is this really what I need to be encouraged? Can these truths really cheer me up in my daily life? Well, it definitely can take time. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma 
who lost his wife on the mission field, and he battled with depression for nearly a year. Many strong Christians have had what are called dark nights of the soul. We live in a fallen world. Our flesh, the world, and the devil are experts at discouraging us. But what you think about really does affect how you feel, even if it takes a long time to change it. I know for me, when I'm feeling bad about something, like the bank account, the report card, or, and I'm glad to be done with those, a health condition, they get replaced by other things, but it's all right, I can move on. When I find out I'm in the middle of those feelings and I find out that a friend or family member just died or someone I love is terminally ill, a lot of those normal pressures of life suddenly just kind of disappear and all I can think about and feel is for that family member, that friend whom I either will miss because they're gone or I might never see again very soon. You know, you think about all the memories you have, the feelings of gratitude for that person, um, feelings of regret maybe, feelings of sadness. Those things just dwarf what you were worried about a minute before. So compared to someone dying, you know, your report card and temporary bank account emptiness and feelings of sadness, they almost disappear. All that matters is what happens to, to your eternal destiny. What happens to, to those you've left behind? Money, grades, feelings get wiped clean in the end. Only one thing is necessary. Do I have eternal life? Did, did that person have eternal life? Does my family have eternal life? So maybe these simple, big picture gospel truths don't make you feel better about your financial state, your academic status, or your times of depression in the short term. But if you would stop and consider your end when you have no more tests, when you have no more need for money, no more life left to feel bad about, you will be encouraged by the gospel truths in 1 Thessalonians. So the Bible book of 1 Thessalonians help us, helps us to go beyond the mundane, which, by the way, we all care about the mundane. God cares about the mundane. It does matter to him and to us. But this book helps us to see what really matters more. And, and if you'll meditate on that and believe that you can actually be encouraged this morning if you'll look past the temporal and see the eternal the realities of God and his good news for you and that's what this gospel encouragement is all about so be encouraged by these truths and I've asked Eric Ray to come and sing a new hymn that I heard recently and I thought it would be a good way just to conclude and let these truths sink in. It doesn't tie out exactly, but you'll, I think, see the benefit and let God work in your heart. Would you, would you just take time to really rein in your thinking and in an undistracted way, set your hope on God. Let Jesus be your hope. Find encouragement. And even if nothing else, find the tools to be encouraged, even if it takes you a year from now to really feel it. And I trust God will help you feel it much faster.